The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn in your Bibles or on your app to uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 1. We're breaking into a new chapter tonight, praise God. Uh, Philippians is right in between Ephesians and Colossians, and that's going to be in the back third of your Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own and you want one, uh, let us know, because we've got some to give you. Uh, We want everyone that wants a Bible to have one. You can grab an usher after service, or again, talk to anybody in the lounge, and uh, we'd be happy to give you one, okay? If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app with you today, uh, the verses will be up on the screens. You can just follow along that way, or, or just listen if you'd like. I think there are Bibles in the back of the pews there as well. Different translation than I'm using, so that may be more hurtful than helpful, but uh, you're welcome to use those as well. We are continuing in our series. It's called Joy, A Journey Through Philippians. And so what we're doing is we're going uh, verse by verse through this powerful book of the Bible. This was written as a pastoral letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Now, last week, uh, we had a Super Bowl party, which was a ton of fun. I just wanted to take a moment to thank uh, everyone who helped to pull that off, either by coming early to set up or cooking what was undoubtedly the best food spread in Cincinnati. Uh, I think we hold that claim to fame, to the glory of God, G-A-W-D, God, right? Um, uh, Or or spending time with the kids. Some of you sacrificed time and and, uh, hung out with the kids so that uh, some of the adults could watch the game, Uh, or a a bunch of you stayed late to help us clean up. So just thank you for any part you played in that uh, or for coming. We just appreciate it, and uh, we're glad those of you that uh, had other engagements that you were out taking the light of the gospel and the, the spirit of God wherever you went. So praise the Lord. Um, the week before that, we explored the depths of a famous and profound statement that Paul makes in verse 21 of chapter 1, that is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we also unpacked what it means to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Pretty heavy language there. Uh, but also beautiful at the same time. This week, we're going to break into chapter 2, and we're going to receive some further encouragement on how to live gratefully in light of the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God. Uh, So let's read. We're going to read chapter 2. We're going to do verses 1 through 11 today, okay? Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God for his word. These, <laughs> these scriptures are so rich and deep and profound, they almost preach themselves. Uh, but let's, let's dig in here and, and uh, see what else we can draw from this living well, okay? So starting back at verse 1 here of chapter 2, what we're seeing is the Apostle Paul is making an impassioned and deeply emotional plea for living our lives and relating to each other with love and humility. Now, because he's being led by the Spirit as he writes, and, and the Spirit of God is quite wise and understands how we tick, um, this passionate plea begins by cultivating gratitude for all that God has done through Christ. So the inward motivations for obedience would be as pure as the outward actions. Did you catch that? It's important because we're going to ride that horse for a minute. All right? You guys ready? Jump in the saddle with me here. It's very important that we understand God doesn't just care what we do. He cares very much why we do it. And so here we see a cultivation and a stirring of our gratitude uh, before it says, okay, in light of these things, then let's act this way. It doesn't just hammer out, okay, here's the things you need to do. First of all, he starts with this language of if, if this is true and then this is true and if this is true, then let's do these things, right? So uh, we, just, we see the work of the Spirit of God. We see that he understands how our heart works. So the truth is it is part of the imperfect condition that we find ourselves in because of sin that like a fire left untended, neither stirred or fed with more fuel to burn, our gratitude tends to die and grow cold if untended and uncultivated. Now, truth or dare time, anybody else in here ever done dumb stuff with fire? Go ahead, raise your hand. Ever done dumb stuff with fire? Okay. Praise God. I'm not alone. Uh, I thought I might be hanging out by myself on that one because you guys are going to be too holy and stuff to admit that. So I'm thankful uh, that the spirit of honesty is flowing in the house today. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be extra honest. You don't have to get up here and explain your dumb story about fire, but I'm going to tell on myself for the sake of illustration. Okay, so... I want to say first, this was over 10 years ago. Okay, that's a very important detail for you to remember. It's a long time ago this happened here, this story. I was sitting around a fire uh, with some guys, and, and we were running out of wood. And uh, I want just another detail. We were not in the country, mind you, by any means. We were in a residential neighborhood with houses all around. Okay, that actually makes this worse. So just want to be totally honest. Uh, it was cold, and the fire was dying. It was down to just a few orange coals left, and so um, I decided to save the day, right? So I, I go traipsing through a tree line right nearby, and uh, I found in there several, like, huge dead evergreen bushes, almost like Christmas trees, right, that had been, uh, somebody had chucked them in there a long time ago, and so they were super dried out. Uh, someone had cut them down and thrown them in there, and so my thought is, okay, sweet, you know, these are going to burn well. So great. So I, I grab three or four of them, and I'm dragging them over to the fire. Now, at this point, common sense should have kicked in, and I should have thrown one on at first, right, to see how big the flames would get. But I didn't do that. In a moment of excited ignorance, I threw every one of those crispy, dead evergreens onto this fire all at once. And... Uh, Within about three minutes, there was a raging inferno, and those flames were every bit as high as the bottom of the windows in this dome. I'd say they were 30 or 40 feet high. I can't actually remember who was there, but there's probably people in this room that can validate this story. Uh, don't say amen if that's you, okay? 
um, it was so hot, the fire was so hot that we had to stand at least as far away as it was tall to keep our eyebrows from being singed, okay? So I, I now jump back into action. I, I ran over to this house, I'm grabbing a hose, and I'm like, you know, trying to be a, a, a ghetto wannabe fireman, right? And I'm, I'm, so I'm reeling this hose out, and I'm running, and I'm praying at the same time. I'm like, Jesus, I know this was so stupid. Please, but please don't let me burn no houses down. Like, Lord, please have grace and mercy on me. <laughs> I don't want to go to prison for arson. Like, I got so much ahead of me, you know what I mean? Like, please, God, help me. <laughs> Uh, and, and I honest, this is the honest truth. I don't know how fire departments from miles around were not called in. This was the biggest fire I've ever personally seen, and it was a result of my own stupidity. Um, but by God's grace, we did. We got it under control, and um, we did not burn the whole subdivision to the ground, which was a potential. So, praise God in that story. Now, the question you need to ask yourself is, why did I just tell you this story that makes me look like an absolute clown? Why would I do that? Well, first of all. You know, the New Testament doesn't whitewash itself either. Like the apostles of Jesus, you know, denied him and ran away and did a bunch of dumb stuff. So it's good for you to know, not that I'm like the apostles in the Bible, but even though I'm the primary communicator here at Love City, uh, I do still do dumb things. Uh, just because this was over 10 years ago doesn't mean I don't have the potential to do dumb fire stuff again. So also it can make you pray for me, which is good. But really, the big reason I'm doing this is to give you a, a kind of visual point of reference for what Paul is doing here. Because he knows, like that dying fire that me and my friends had on that night, our gratitude can grow cold and dim as we deal with difficulties and distractions in our lives. And what Paul is doing in this first verse is he is, he is throwing some dried up evergreens onto those coals, and he is fully intending. He, see, I didn't know what I was doing, but he knows what he's doing. He is intending to stoke the coals of our heart into a raging inferno of passionate thanksgiving to God. Okay? So that's what verse 1 is. So I'm asking you to jump in and understand what the intention of the Scripture is, what the Spirit of God working through Paul is doing here. He is stirring us to gratitude and thanksgiving, to a passionate gratitude that will then carry us through and give us the proper motivation for obedience to what comes next, because there's some big calls coming, okay? All right, so here's, here's, what, he, here's what he says. Here's how he does that. This is, these, are, these are the three or four evergreens that Paul throws on the fire of our hearts, okay? First he says, uh, first of all, we need to know, and I think this is obvious by now, but I'll just say it anyways, these questions are rhetorical, okay? So you could read every if in here as a because and the intended meaning would be the same. Let me just tell you what I'm saying. So it says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Really, you could say, therefore, because there is encouragement in Christ. He's, he's asking the question, but it's rhetorical. The answer is obvious. We do have these things. And that's clearly what he's saying. So the first thing he says is, if there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ. And so uh, encouragement in and of itself is a good thing. That's, that's good, but I think... This word is it, there's a little more in this than, than the English word encouragement would tell us. And so in the Greek, this is actually paraklesis, which is much of the same root that comes out of the, the way the Holy Spirit is described as a helper. And so there's this idea of if Christ has encouraged you in coming to your aid, in helping you in a time when you could not have helped yourself, in lifting you up and assisting you when you couldn't make it on your own, if you've been encouraged by Christ in that way, 
Okay, so that's number one, the first evergreen he throws on there. Remember how many times Jesus has come to help you and encourage you and to lift you up when you could not lift up yourself, okay? So that's the first one. Second, he says, if there is any consolation of love, 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says this, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, has has God comforted us? Has God consoled us through his great love for us? The answer to that is a resounding yes. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so this is another rhetorical question from Paul. If there is any consolation of love, if there is any comfort in the fact that God loved you when you were unlovely, that God loved you when you didn't love him first, that he took the effort and the initiative to go first, pouring out his love upon you so that you could even understand then what love is and respond. If that's true, if you've had encouragement in Christ, if there is consolation of love, what's he say next? If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if by the miracle of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you have tasted the sweetness of everlasting companionship with God. If you have experienced the vanquishing of loneliness because of God's good promise to never leave you nor forsake you, or if you have experienced the power of the Spirit of God which comes with the crushing force of a wrecking ball to decimate the high walls of pride and prejudice and preference that normally stand between people. So whether you've experienced the, the beauty of the Spirit of God dwelling in you as a result of salvation, that now the Spirit of God does not dwell in a tabernacle in the middle of the desert, but now, because of what Jesus has done, we are now the New Testament temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have, if you have seen loneliness flee away from you, if you, as you have realized in the midst of a time where you were tempted to feel like you were alone, that you are never alone. I've told this a bunch of times, but it's so cool to me, and, and, and it, 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 it sticks with me that, that I just, I think it bears repeating. I was driving through the hood one time, and I looked over, and there was this graffiti piece on this wall, and it was, I think it was an angel or something. I can't remember even what the, the, the art was, which is not surprising because it's me. I remembered the words, but here's what the, the tag said. It said, even when I'm solo, I'm rolling four deep, and also because I'm, I'm so urban, that's why it really related to me, as you can tell. I'm, I'm definitely, definitely a city guy, you know what I mean? But, but, but that, that spoke to me, man, in a really precious way. Because even when my five senses tell me I'm alone, or what I can perceive with, with uh, my limited faculties, it seems that I'm alone. If I trust the, the, the truth of the word of God, I, I am never, ever, ever alone, forsaken, um, by myself, without the power and the help of the Spirit of God. And so d directly we experience that, but also uh, the Spirit of God absolutely decimates and destroys the walls that men and women build between each other of pride and prejudice and preference. Um, and, and that's beautiful as well. Uh, we not only gain the beautiful privilege of unending fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God, it is also by His power that we gain fellowship with other people who otherwise we would tend to either avoid or ignore. Try to think of a way to illustrate this, and this, this is the best thing I came up with. So, Pastor Jordan, would you come here? Come close enough so that uh, you can talk into my mic. We'll try to make it not awkward for the folks here. 
I don't, I don't mean like here, but like here. You with me? Okay. Okay, okay cool. All right. I want to ask you some questions. I just want you to answer honestly because baby Jesus hates lies, okay? All right, all right. They make him cry, right. okay? He's not heard any of these. I've not prepped him. So he likes this a lot, as you can probably tell by his body language. Uh, you enjoy playing and listening to music a lot, right? Yes. Okay. What would happen if I got up here, grabbed an instrument, and decided to help with worship? It would be bad. It would be bad. Yep. Okay. The point of... <laughs> That's right. The point, the point of that being, I don't have a musical bone in my body. I am aware of this. Uh, okay, second, you enjoy very much artistic and creative things. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Okay. Uh, I recently colored with my children and realized I literally can't color in the lines, and I'm 32. <laughs> and even my stick figures look like they have some kind of disease, and that is not an exaggeration. Okay. I am not artsy or creative. And I'm going to be honest, I love all of you artists. I really do. But I have to, like, strive to even understand art and not be frustrated that that gets called art. So whatever it is, right? So uh, I need the Spirit of God to help me be balanced in that way, okay? Uh, here's another one. You are, you are pretty organized and you like processes and details and stuff like that, right? Is that, yep. would you describe yourself that way? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I, I would literally rather dig a hole and fill it back in than fill out paperwork. Is that true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does that ever frustrate you about me? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Last one. Do you like being put on the spot like this? Okay. And I don't care at all. <laughs> Amen. Okay, go. All right. Clap for him because he got up. Okay. So <laughs> here, here's my point. Here's why I did that to him. For you. Uh, the point here is we are very different. We are very different both in personality and practice. Uh, But that's one of my best friends in the world, right there. And you know what? We love and appreciate each other, and we are thankful for our differences. We have the gift of covenant fellowship with one another because the Spirit of God has woven our lives together to accomplish his mission. And so a guy that I probably would not have really been interested in hanging out with, because I don't want to do arts and crafts and play music, (laughs) right? To be fair, he doesn't want to build a deck or, you know, whatever I would think is fun. Uh, Right? So two guys that really don't have enough in common without the beauty of the power of the Spirit weaving our lives together on something that supersedes all of our preferences and all of our personality traits. We are together and we are covenant friends for life because we both care way more about those, those kind of small insignificant things, we care about the mission of God and we know that God has brought us together and actually I'm so thankful he's different than me because that makes me stronger and, and vice versa. Amen? So there is, a, there is a beautiful gift in the Spirit of God. This fellowship of the Spirit is not just the direct fellowship we enjoy with God uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit but is also uh, this, this, this beautiful happening by the power of the Spirit where people that would otherwise have nothing to do with each other come together and have deep friendships because they're together in a mission much greater than themselves. And so that's a beautiful thing. Um, the, the next thing it says is, so, so this, is, this is the last evergreen he's trying to throw on the fire of your heart to stoke your gratitude as he then goes in to what it looks like uh, to, uh, to, to follow Jesus, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
uh, and, and he's going he's gonna to ask some, some big things of us. We're gonna, it's going to take the grace of God and the power of God to do any of this. But first, he wants to stoke our gratitude so that our motive is not... Uh, our motive, our motive for obeying what it is is going to be laid upon us today by the Spirit of God should not be, okay, well, I see that God wants me to do that, so if I do that, then I hope then he'll do some good things for me. You see, here's, here's why that can't ever be the case. Here's why the Spirit of God instructs Paul to start this way. Because my obedience to God needs to be motivated not by a hope of him doing some future good thing, but it needs to be motivated by the fact that I could rattle on forever about all the good things he's already done. That is what's happening here. He's, he's, just, he's just given us a primer of a list to light this fire in us, and he could go on forever, couldn't he? Because we know James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. And so literally, he could have gone chapter after chapter after chapter and written an entire book about all of the things God has already done. And if God had stopped with sending Jesus to die in our place for our sins, then that would have been enough for us to go on and obey everything else that's about to come. However, he doesn't stop there. He pours on continual grace and blessing on top of that because he's that good of a God. And that is why it is very difficult to understand why, why anyone would not want to worship him because he is a good father. He's wonderful to us. Here's the last thing he says. He says, if there's any affection or compassion... Uh, one commentator summarizes this whole verse one this way, and it ties this part up as well. He says, Paul mentioned these things in a manner that suggests to us that they should all be obvious parts of the Christian's experience. To make his rhetorical point, he could have just as easily said, if water is wet, if fire is hot, if rocks are hard, and so forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul's saying, this, th these first things, he's talking about if there's any encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, if there is fellowship of the Spirit, if there is affection and compassion, he's saying these things should so mark the life of the believer. This should be so commonplace that he, you could switch those things out for, hey, is, is fire hot? Is, is water wet? It should be so obvious for us that, that he can ask this in a rhetorical, almost sarcastic way to make the point and to stir us and spur us towards gratitude and thankfulness to God. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, uh, each of these gifts, encouragement in Christ, consolation of love, fellowship with the Spirit, affection and compassion, are communicated to us both in a direct spiritual way from Jesus and from Jesus through his people. But there isn't any doubt that these are real gifts for Christians to really experience. Praise God. Okay, now we're in verse 2. So that all of that was the Apostle Paul by the power of the Spirit throwing evergreens upon your dying fire, hoping to stoke in you this gratitude and thankfulness to God that allows us to charge forth into these next verses, excited to find out what it means to obey God in this way. And so I hope that's where you find yourself, excited to find out what, what is it that God is about to lay upon us. And we know, of course, that even if, even if what is said here seems too big to accomplish, and it will be, in and of our own strength, we know that God has promised us his strength to get it done. Amen. Verse 2. So, if these things are true, these things above, and they are, by the way, right, they are true, uh, then, then, then verse 2 starts to say, okay, if those are true, then let's respond in this way. First, first thing he says, make my joy complete. This is interesting. There is so much love and trust between this pastor, Paul, and these people, the church at Philippi, that he is able to include his own joy 
as a motivation for them to conduct themselves as these verses will describe, and he didn't have any fear of them pushing back or misunderstanding his statement. There's so much love and trust and relationship between them that he can throw into the mix, uh, respond this way, and part of it is simply because you know it's going to bring joy to me. There's so much love there between this pastor and these people that this, he has no fear of doing that. He knows they're not going to misunderstand. And, and as we continue to read here, I realize that could seem kind of a bit weird or self-serving. Like, why is Paul telling him to do this stuff to make his joy complete? Aren't we supposed to be about God's glory and, and, and God's joy? Yes, that's, that is true. But as this request unfolds further, we'll see there was really no selfishness in it. And that's going to happen real quick here. Okay, so verse 2 says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Here's my question to you, friends. We, what we just read there. So what's he ask? He says, make my joy complete by doing these things, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Here's my question to you. If they're doing that, if they're, if they're uh, united in spirit, if they're intent on one purpose, if they're maintaining the same love and they're, they're being of the same mind, in Paul asking them to do these things, to make his joy complete. If they're all of one mind and they're all working towards the same goal and they are in this, this unity that is empowered by the power of the Spirit, what if, so then if, if Paul's joy is increasing, what's happening to their joy? It's also increasing, right? And so there's no selfishness in this request. And, and him saying, make my joy complete, he's also saying, make your joy complete. Because if we're all of one mind and we're all on one mission and we're connected vibrantly by the power of the Spirit with the love that God supplies, if that's happening, then my joy is connected to your joy and your joy is connected to my joy and it moves up together. And so he, he's not only laying upon them this, hey, you know, I think to some degree there's this, there's this understanding that he's put on them. Like, listen, I'm in jail for the sake of the gospel. Like, do these things, and this, this is going to help encourage me as I continue to try to fight my way through this thing and trust God in the midst of this trial. But at the same time, he's also saying to them, as you're making my joy complete, you're making your own joy complete. Your own joy is going to increase if you're in unity of mind and you are uh, united by the power of the Spirit and you're intent on one purpose. You're joined together in one purpose. You're not gathering together with 300 different purposes, but there is one purpose. It is focusing upon the furthering of God's kingdom, the preaching of his gospel, and the glory of his name. If we have one purpose, it, it undercuts so many of uh, the, the attempts of the enemy to undo uh, the will uh, and the plan of God uh, amongst us and in the world. These things are so incredibly vital. Verses 3 and 4. Uh, first of all, I'll tell you that these verses 3 and 4, actually 3 through 11, the rest of this section that we're dealing with today, 3 through 11, they are a primary source of two of our core values here at Love City. And so uh, we have five total core values. I'll just give you those quickly in case you have not heard those. Uh, there, there's five. The last two we'll deal with in these verses at length. The, the first three I'm just going to give you so that you can hear them. The first is that we are gospel-centered in everything. What that means in very short terms is the gospel informs and um, essentially is, is the thrust of absolutely everything we do. We don't do anything without asking, how does this affect the furthering of the gospel? And if it doesn't have a positive effect upon the furthering of the gospel, we don't exert resources or effort towards it, period. We are gospel-centered in everything we do. 
Okay, that's number one. Uh, number two is redefining love to the culture. We believe part of our mission at this church is to reflect like a mirror the love of God to the culture so that they can see the difference between the love of God and what that looks like and what uh, most of our culture has come to decide love looks like. And so we think that's really important for us to explain the goodness and the depth and the beauty of God and his gospel. If you don't understand what love is from the definition of its creator, it's going to be very hard for you to even grasp uh, much about what the Bible's teaching because love is so central and it's such a pillar to the whole uh, narrative of what God is doing in the scriptures. So redefining love to the culture. Uh, the third is that diversity is strength. And so we believe that if we have different people of different ages, races, socioeconomic statuses, if we have people that are, are different from all, in all different angles and, and those people come together, which sadly doesn't happen oftentimes in uh, churches, Oftentimes people cluster together with those that are like them because that feels the most comfortable. Uh, but we believe that there is strength and diversity. And so the more different kinds of people come and join in on this mission of telling people about Jesus, we believe the stronger we will be. We believe we'll be able to flip that jewel of the gospel from more angles and see more of its beauty. The more different kind of folks and different kind of backgrounds uh, and different kind of experiences we have as a part of the family of God here at Love City. So we believe diversity is a strength. Uh, the last two... Uh, we're going to cover in these verses, okay? So, um, and you're going to actually see as we move through here that these last two core values are so tightly interwoven that they really cannot exist without each other, but, but there's so much in each that they deserve distinction, right? You could almost make them one, but man, then it would, it would, it would be so big, it would almost be impossible to, to understand. So, uh, we, we've, we put those in two. So, uh, the next the next core value and what we're going to see uh, laid upon us here is we here at Love City, we strive for unity in our homes, in our church, and in the body of Christ globally. Okay, and so where do I get that? I'm in verses 3 and 4. Let me read those to you, and then I'll talk to you why that's a core value for us. It says, do nothing. Come on now. Did you hear that? That's a big, absolute word that doesn't leave any loopholes or any room to run away, does it? Okay, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. Okay, so first of all, on, on the vein of, of unity, uh, <laughs> if we do nothing... I mean, that's why I said these scriptures almost <laughs> preach themselves. What else do you say? If, if you just do this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. How many squabbles and empty arguments and old foolishness that happens inside God's church and outside of God's church would dissipate into nothing if we just obeyed that verse right there? <sighs> Man, it would blow it up. That would be so helpful. So we need the help of the Spirit of God, and we need the gratitude stirred in us by verse 1 to motivate us to go hard after every single situation you're in, and you're tempted to start thinking too highly of yourself or start thinking real low of someone else. you got to run yourself through this grid, and first of all, you, you, you need to let the weight of this sit upon you. Am I doing anything? Am I doing this? Am I saying this from selfishness or from empty conceit? Or am I regarding this other person as more important than myself? Now, that's, that's going to get heavier here in a minute. 
Um, I think we also see in, in, in verse 2 this call for unity, you know, to, to be of the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Okay, so for us here, the way we kind of spell that out is, is we believe God has called us to have unity in our homes, unity in our church, and unity in the body of Christ largely. And so and, and in that order, because uh, one is kind of built upon and predicated upon the other. So first of all, unity in our homes. We can't just come and gather with God's people, whether it be in community group or some other fellowship that's happening or when we gather as God's people here for, for worship and to study the scriptures together. We can't just come into here uh, and, 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 and put our unity face on, right? Um, you know, how many of you ever been in a car on the way to the gathering with God's people and some disunity be happening up in the vehicle at that very moment? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? Because I know I just put you in one of those spots. That happens, right? Okay, so if we don't have unity in our homes first, man, God cares about what's going on in our houses, okay? And, and, and he, he wants to be Lord of, of that house as well as this house. And so we need to, we need to fight and strain uh, for unity in our homes. And, and these verses, if, if we would memorize these and have these written upon the tablet of our heart, and we made every single thing we say and do subject to these verses, uh, we would have a much higher degree of unity in our homes and much less strife. And we need to understand uh, Satan is gunning hard and doing everything he can to sow bitterness, strife, and discord into every situation he can. These are some of his primary tools. He's got a short bag of tricks, but man, those same ones tend to work a lot. And that's why he uses them. So if he can get us sideways with each other, if he can get us out of unity, if he can get uh, two people who... Uh, should be focused on Jesus and his glory and how it is their life is furthering his mission and his gospel, get them thinking about, well, here's what I want and think, and here's what I want and think, and then what I want and think and what I want and think, it comes and clashes together because they're different, right? Unity, unity gets put down as not so much of a priority, and now my, my own thoughts, feelings, preferences becomes the, the high bar of uh, how it is I'm going to conduct myself. Uh, these things lead to brokenness and pain, Okay? So we need unity in our homes. I pray over the homes, uh, every home of Love City Church, I pray that when you walk through the threshold, the front door of your home, that the Spirit of God is there, that it's a place of peace, and that he reigns in your home. So whether or not you're praying over your home, me and my family pray for your home. I ask God to dwell there, and I ask God to convict you and mess with you if you're acting mean or hateful towards anybody in your house, ever. I want you to have a wretched time and be feeling terrible if you're being mean and not caring about unity. You do? Yep, I do. Because I care about your joy. And you're going to have more joy uh, if you care about unity and you fight for that. Okay? Praise God. I wish you quit praying that over me. Too bad! So, unity in our home, unity in our church, right? So that just expand that uh, premise then to um, the, the size of the body of Christ here at Love City, right? Satan absolutely would love to sow discord, different agendas, getting people focused on this, that, and the other thing, little pet peeves, anything he can to try to get agitation and disunity among us. He's always fighting for that. We need to understand a primary... Ephesians tells us we need to know the schemes of the enemy. We need to understand. We don't want to have a dis... Uh, an inordinate or, or, or over-realized focus upon what the enemy's doing. We want to focus more upon what God is doing, but we do need to know how Satan operates. And one of his primary ways to try to undo the progress of the gospel is to sow discord and sow bitterness and sow unforgiveness and uh, ugliness and nastiness between God's people. Because the more he can do that, the more he can mess up 
uh, what happens when God's people get together and decide to move forward for his glory. Okay, so we want unity in our homes, in this church, and in the body of Christ at large. That one's a matter for prayer. I hope you'll join us in prayer on that because it can be really hard to get people, uh, different people that believe that Jesus is the king of everything, that you've got to trust him for salvation, uh, that he is the only way that we're going to be reconciled to God the Father. Uh, there's a lot of people that believe that, but then they believe different things about like how you should dress. I mean, there's some people think I should have a robe on right now in order to be delivering God's word. I'm not going to wear a robe. It's not going to happen, okay? So, but I'm not going to argue with the guy that wears a robe. Like, that's cool, dude. I like your robe. It's got that ornate thing on it, and it, like, honestly, it's dope for you, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's hot <laughs> and sweaty, and I don't think Jesus cares if I wear a robe, so I'm not going to do it. Um, but let's not argue about that, right? Like, let's, let's figure out Okay, so you're, you're about people meeting and understanding their only hope is in Christ. Okay, cool. I'm about that too. So how can we get together uh, and, and, and push that forward? And I think that's one beautiful thing that God has done for us even in, in this facility. I don't know. Some of you may not even know. There's a, new, a lot of new people have come. Why are we here and why do we meet in the evenings? Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you the short version of the story. We used to meet in another facility here in town, and then that building got sold. And in short order, we were told, you're getting the boot. And so... We looked at everything everywhere. God, if you don't know this story, come talk to me later, but God specifically told us to be here in Norwood and confirmed it, and so we knew this was kind of the geographic place he wanted this church to be, and so we looked at everything twice. I was calling everybody, trying to find out. I know, I know what every commercial building in Norwood looks like and where all the options are, and nothing was happening, and then somehow through the grapevine around the way, it wasn't even direct. Like We didn't find Grace United Methodist. They found us and called us and said, hey, come Come, we hear you guys are maybe going to be homeless soon. I said, yeah, you know, in a, in a few weeks, we're just going to find the biggest tree in Norwood and meet under that and hope lightning don't strike it. And since we're God's people, it won't matter. It'll be okay. But they were like, no, don't do that. Come over here first and talk to us. So we came over here and uh, I met with their leadership team and uh, told them, you know, just kind of told them what was up. Like we, we were even younger then and um, had even less resources then, but we were committed to really pushing hard to do outreach in the community. And so we were using resources for that, and they had heard a little bit about us and knew that that was true, and so I threw them a number, like, hey, here's what I think we could do monthly uh, to share this space here with you guys, and, and we'll come in and help keep this thing up, and it, you know, we'll be cool, and I know you guys will be cool, but here's the number, and so like their financial, financial people, financial is not a word, financial people, their financial people huddled up, they were like in, in the fourth pew back right there, and uh, they took about 30 seconds, and they said, hey, um, we, we, we've heard what you're doing in the community, and, and we like what you guys are about, and so we want to make sure you don't get squeezed out of doing the other stuff you're doing, the outreach and stuff in the community, so here, why don't you do this number, and they threw me a lower number than I threw them. What? And I'm like, so I was confused. I'm like, hold on. Is this some type of weird negotiation tactic? I had to like think real hard about it for a minute. Then I'm like, no, God's at work. Sweet. So I shook their hand before they changed their mind. And uh, but so we've been here for um, man like like three years now I think maybe maybe even a little bit longer than that and God has been so good to us so that's why we meet in the evenings because Grace United Methodist Church meets in the morning they're a different congregation than us they do some stuff different than us I mean stylistically there's all kinds of ways where they are they are significantly different in their approach to ministry than we are however. Um, they really love us, and they're glad we're here, and we really love them, and we're glad that we're here. And um, we showed up today, and like they baked us a bunch of cookies and said, we love you. Thank you guys for being here. Like, what? So it's precious, man. And so there can be unity in the body of Christ at large, and I think part of the reason why God did this here is to show this community that two churches that are pretty different 
uh, in the way we do things can coexist in one space and love each other and not be in competition. So I think actually just our situation here is preaching something to this community. And so I think it's really cool, and I'm thankful for it. And so we're working for that kind of beauty and unity and love between different congregations within the universal body of Christ. Uh, I want to see more of that, more cooperation, um, more figuring out, hey, you're good at this and you're good at this, then let's come together and make us stronger, man. <laughs> like, let's do that. That'd be cool. Um, and let's kick the devil in the teeth harder since we're working together, right? Amen. So we care about that. And we believe these scriptures call us to that. All right? Um, why does unity matter so much? And why would Satan try so hard to keep it from happening? Okay? Um, there, there are certain things that God has established, right? There's, there's physical laws in nature, things like gravity and such, that they, they, they just are, right? There are, there are constants, there are things like that in the spirit realm as well. And I believe that God has built into humanity an inertia and a momentum that happens when we come into unity around a given task. And I'll give you an example of this, because I think it can work either for God's glory and the furthering of his kingdom or even against it. If you go back to Genesis, uh, the flood happens, everybody gets off the boat, they, they settle in this plain and they decide, you know, they're, everyone's there for a while. God had told them, spread out, go throughout the earth, multiply. And uh, they decided, nope, we're all going to chill here. And actually, we're starting to feel so cool about ourselves. We're going to build a tower in our name. We're going to build a real tall building so everyone knows how cool we are. And God says this really interesting thing in regards to that. He says, if we don't go down there and confuse their language, they're going to accomplish whatever they put their minds to. I think that's real interesting. God had to come down and get in the middle of that and mess stuff up because when a bunch of people got together, even in disagreement to what God had said, he, he said, they're, they're going to get that done. And so what I think part of what that tells us, and, and I, I don't have time to unpack the entirety of why I believe this is true, but that's one example of why I believe God has anointed to some degree this momentum that happens when people come together and you need to accomplish a goal. And you, maybe you've noticed that. Maybe you've, in a work situation or school or whatever, if you can get a bunch of people rallied around a goal and they really buy into it and they're willing to push for it, it seems like there's this multiplication of momentum that happens and, and you really can get some stuff done. Sometimes that works for good, sometimes that works for bad. Here we see this call of God for us as his people to be in unity, I think partially because that's true. And if we would let some of the, if we would just let some of the dumb stuff that stands in the way of this type of unity drop, and we would understand how important it is for us to uh, strive and fight to be in that kind of unity, we would understand how much it is Satan in little ways um, sows little seeds of discord and stuff to try to stop it from happening. I, I think if we could get that stuff out of the way, um, we would see much different results as it pertains to the furthering of God's kingdom and the preaching of his gospel. Um, I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're making a dent. I think hell knows we exist, and, and, and they're a little bit freaked out about it by the amount of attack that I know upon some of your lives personally and even things that happen against our church at large. Uh, I don't think hell likes us. I think Satan's a little bit nervous about us, but I think we can make him a whole lot more nervous if we forgot even more about what I want, what I think, and we would most of all join together in unity of mind and unity of spirit after one thing, that's God's glory in the preaching of his gospel. Amen? Are you willing to do that? Because it's going to cost you something, you realize. But I believe what we get in return is even better. 
we get joy, real joy, because we see the work of God uh, unhindered. And it's a beautiful thing. It's exciting. Uh, Satan continually and aggressively works against verses 3 and 4, being a reality among God's people, because he knows, sometimes better than we do, that if these verses were the reality among us, we would be unstoppable. We'd be like a locomotive, man. Uh, you, ain't, you ain't stopping that thing. You stand in front of it, you get crushed. And uh, the forces of darkness know that, so they don't want us to get that momentum. They want to keep you upset about your pet peeves. Uh, they, wanna, you know, they want you to be looking at that person and, uh, well, who do they think they are and uh, blah, 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 blah. And just all that little stuff that we entertain because I think sometimes we just don't understand what's at stake. And we don't understand the potential of what would happen if we cut that stuff off, if we took every thought captive that stands against this beautiful word of God and the power of unity among God's people. If we would do that, I think we would see a multiplication, uh, not just an addition, but a multiplication of the effectiveness of God's people in this mission that he's given us. That's an exciting thought to me. Because we're already kicking the devil in the teeth a lot. right? I know your stories, and I know what's going on, and we see the beauty of what's happening as God's people, but... Uh, I'm, I'm all for more. <laughs> more glory for God and more devastation for the kingdom of darkness. Praise God. And so I'm asking you, friends, in light of that, to let your hearts and minds be filled with God's vision for his church. Because we are not supposed to huddle together in fear, hoping that he returns quickly so we can escape. I think that's sometimes how we think of it. If I can just survive this craziness uh, that is the world I live in today uh, and huddle together with a few other believers and, and, and we don't take each other out, then great, we did it. That's not the picture painted of what we're supposed to be doing, especially in the last days, man. What we're supposed to be doing is, is taking ground, not receding, right? Uh, and I don't mean in some weird imperialistic way. I'm talking strictly when it comes to uh, sowing the truth of the light of the gospel into as many places as possible, okay? Uh, you know, what we are called to do is to go forth into all the world, make disciples, and take the gospel into every single corner. And so um, that's, that's why our vision here is for as many people as possible to meet Jesus. We're, we're just, our vision is, we just want it to be what the Bible's vision is. What, what is Jesus' vision for his church? What has he asked us to do? We don't need another vision. God gave the church a vision. The vision is get the gospel to as many people as possible. So we're just going to keep doing that hard until he either comes to get us or we die. Is that cool? I mean, what, what else, man? Uh, there's nothing else I want to really be a part of. I want to see God's vision done. Verses 5 through 11 inform um, the, this, the, the fifth and final um, core value. And so the, the, the other one I gave you is we want unity in our homes, in our church, and in the body of Christ globally. That's an important facet of gospel mission. Verses 5 through 11 uh, inform this, that uh, our fifth core value is humility as exemplified by Jesus. Humility as exemplified by Jesus. Uh, the Bible is full of exhortations and commands to be humble. It's also full of warnings against being prideful. This is all through the scriptures. This is not just uh, here localized to Philippians 2, of course, but I believe here Paul pulls out the end-all be-all no more discussion needed, Holy Ghost smackdown against pride in all its ugly forms. This, I think, is, is, is the argument. This is the line of thinking that brings humility to the forefront and should, should, by God's grace, empower us to walk it out. So let's read these again uh, in light of that. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what we see. In the gospel broadly and in the incarnation uh, specifically, we have all the motivation for humility that we should ever need. Here's what I'm saying. It's saying, okay, so he calls us into humility, verse 4, and he's like, now here's an example for you. Jesus. This is the attitude Jesus took, right? This is the one, this is the guy that was highest, the one not created, the one there when the very foundations of the earth were spoken to existence, the very highest and most glorious made himself lowest and most despised so that you and I could have a hope of reconciliation and relationship with God the Father. If the very highest and most glorious made himself lowest and most despised, what excuse do we have at any moment to refuse? Refuse to do the same. He's taken away every excuse for pride or for assuming we are more important than we are. And, and listen, humility is not sitting around bad mouthing yourself, talking about how terrible you are. Humility is much more. Uh, it, it's not so much thinking less about yourself, it's thinking more of others. It's making others' betterment and others' needs higher than your own. It, it, it doesn't require you, uh, you know, laying on the ground groveling, saying, I'm a worm, and you know, just being a weirdo about it. That's not what humility really looks like. Humility, though, is our heart being turned out towards others and our focus being upon what is for their good. What is going to help them? What is going to be a blessing to them? And we see that Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the only begotten of the Father, that he did that. Well, how did he do it? Well, first of all, he did it by becoming incarnate, right? By becoming a man. And this gets down to some of the mystery and some of the things that uh, at the end of the logic road, there are points in the Christian faith where it requires just that. It requires faith. There is only so much that our finite minds are going to be able to grasp about the fact that the God of the universe took on flesh and came and walked among us. But it's clear some things we need to understand from this. Here's, we need to learn from this, though. So, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not, not, not grasped like to get it, but to hold onto it, right? He, he, he let that go, being in, in, in all of the glory at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He, he, he was willing to open his hands, and, and here's the next verse. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And so this is part of the mystery of what God did in Christ. He sent Jesus to somehow retain his godness and yet take on flesh. It's very important that we don't think that, that Jesus cast off completely his deity to become a man. And it's also important that we don't think all he did was uh, somehow put on, put on a skin suit and fake being a man. He Somehow God was able to, in Christ, restrict Christ's deity to the point that his humanness was full and real, and yet he retained the fact 
that he was God. And he took this humble form, the Bible says, of a bondservant. And then and Paul points out that he uh, not, only, not only was obedient to the point of death, but even death on a cross. Why say that? Because the cross, this was, this was a death implement meant for public shame. Jesus didn't just die in our place for our sins. He died in one of the most gruesome, painful, public terrible ways somebody, humans have ever invented to, to torture and kill somebody. Stripped naked, nailed through the most sensitive nerve centers on his body, onto a cross, left there to die and asphyxiate as your body weakens, you're not able to hold yourself up and get your breath. And yet, the beauty of what we see in Christ is even as he is, he, every breath is becoming laborious, every breath he's having, he's having to pull up on these nails in order to even bring air in, he's spending some of those precious breaths praying to God the Father and asking that he would forgive the people that just nailed him there and were still down there jeering, spitting, hurling insults, gambling for his clothes, and calling up to him and saying, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, if you're who you say you are, get yourself down. And what does he do? Pulls up in all the pain that it cost him to catch a breath and say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, friends, when we struggle for unity, when we struggle for humility, when we struggle to let go of the poison of bitterness when we struggle to forgive. We, we need look no further than the cross of Christ, than the, than the coming of Christ, than the life of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ for all the motivation we should ever need. And, all, and here's the beauty. You, see, this is the problem. This is why we need to understand that, that, that jo, though Jesus was God, he was also fully man. Hebrews tells us he was not a high priest that could not understand our frailty and struggle. Somehow, in order for him to step in and to be the sacrifice that would pay the price for all of our sins, he had to fully be able to experience what it is to be like us. And so he felt the pain, he felt the struggle, he felt the betrayal, all of it, the anger. You guys know Jesus got angry, but he didn't sin in his anger. But he struggled. He was tempted by Satan, just like we are. And the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered King Jesus to refuse temptation throughout his life, he has promised to us. Do you see that? You are not alone when it comes to this monumental task of living in unity with other believers in your home, in our church, and in the church broadly. You are not alone when it comes to the monumental task of keeping your mind right about yourself and others, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. I know that's a constant struggle. I know there is a constant counter-narrative. As soon as you step out these doors, there is going to be a counter-narrative screamed at you that is the exact opposite of everything I've just said. You're great, you're awesome, you deserve it, you're the best, self-esteem, rah, 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 feel good about yourself, feel better about yourself, make a big list of why you're so awesome, yay, 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 yay. Look, man, you, you are great, but the only reason you're great is because Christ has put something great in you. And so we need to find our esteem and our identity and our hope in him. And then we don't get this stuff twisted. Then we don't start thinking, I'm better than that person in any way. We don't, we don't walk by people that struggle is different than ours and judge them harshly. Because we understand that though our struggle may look different, we all still struggle. And I'm not better than them. They're just like me. And so I need to figure out how to love them and how to be in unity with them. And I need to be humble. Because here's, here's what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to consider you and me more important than him to go to the cross and die for us. Do you understand what that means? Jesus is, in fact, more important than you. 
Do you understand that? He is the Lord of glory. He will sit for eternity at the right hand of God and judge the living and the dead. He is Christ, the King, the Messiah. He, in levels of importance, on a scale of one to ten, is in a thousand. Okay? Very, very important. And yet, considered himself of less importance than you so that he could die for you. What does that mean we have to do? (laughs) That means every single day I need to make a choice to decide that my wife's wants and needs are more important than my own, that my children's wants and needs are more important than my own. You know what? When I walk in the door and my feet feel like someone hit me with a bat and all I want to do is lay down, but my kids grab me and say, Dad, let's wrestle. I need to make a decision that moment, not to do what I feel like doing. I need to pray and ask God to give me the strength to lay down on that floor and wrestle with those kids. When I see somebody struggling and and, and I don't have the time or the resources really to mess with it, I need to think, that person's more important than me. Their need is more important than my own. And so even if my need right now is to not get involved in that because it looks messy and hard, what I'm going to do is get involved in it because they're more important than I am. And Jesus treated me that way. And the gap between the importance of King Jesus and myself is much farther than the gap of anybody else I'm ever going to make this decision to serve. You feel me on that? Jesus is a million, billion, trillion times more important than I am. The gap between him and I is far different than the gap I would ever find with somebody else. And if he made himself subject to death and even death on a cross so that I could know life and have hope and have reconciliation and relationship with the God that made me, then how dare I ever decide I'm too important to make myself low to serve somebody else? So let let me just say publicly as a point of accountability, you're more important than I am. My life should be about serving you and figuring out how to love you and push you towards Christ. And I hope each of you feels a deep conviction in your heart to be able to look to each, everybody around you and say the same thing. I hope that that what the Spirit of God intended in these verses, at, at first for you to be stoked and stirred in your heart with a fire and a passion and a gratitude for what God has done as he elicits in you this idea that that we have countless number of things to be grateful for that God has done. Most primarily in the fact that each one of us was dead in our sins, but that God sent Christ so that we don't have to be anymore. That each one of us was without hope, unable to save ourselves, unable with our own effort or our own hard work or our own striving to make ourselves perfect again, unable to fix the problem of sin. But because God's compassion and mercy is so great, because his love for us is so unfathomable, he sends Jesus to come take on flesh, live a perfect life that we couldn't, then die the death we should have. And then just like he said he would, three days later he rose from the grave, conquered sin and death forever. And then allows us to partake in his righteous victory by faith in what he's done. That is the ultimate in beauty and humility. That is the example. How am I living that out? Am I living that out? Am I running what I say and do and how I treat people through that grid? Does that even cross my mind before I say things or make decisions about how I'm going to do things? Should it? These are the questions. And I just asked you some rhetorical questions like Paul started with. The answers to all those are yes, you should. Praise God. May we be a people whose hearts are ever burning with 
the unquenchable flames of gratitude to King Jesus. And may this gratitude motivate our obedience to God and our pursuit of humble unity with his people. May these things lead to devastation for the kingdom of darkness, advancement for the kingdom of light, glory for our God, and joy for all his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. God, we are thankful for the beauty of these verses. We are thankful for the brutality of these verses as they come in strength to crush our hearts and work upon us. As, as your word says, God, uh, your word works like a hammer at times and it works like a sword at other times to uh, cut away uh, the things in us that are unhelpful or unfruitful. And it comes like a hammer to smash the hard rocks we allow to sit in the soil of our heart uh, that stop its plowing up and, and its fruitful yield for your glory. And so, uh, Lord God, we just thank you uh, that your word is true. We thank you, God, that you don't ever lay upon us uh, these, these beautiful weights uh, without also promising us to, to, that you'll give us the strength to carry them, Lord. You don't ask us to do anything that you don't provide the strength then to follow through with. And so we are thankful that we're not by ourselves in this. We're thankful, God, that uh, the, the beautiful fellowship of the Holy Spirit is not just that we have you. It's not just that we have the power of your Spirit living in us and dwelling in us and empowering us by your grace uh, to do what it is you've called us to do. We have that and we're thankful for that, but we're thankful, God, it also includes the, the fellowship of the Spirit includes your people. It draws all of us together. It puts us in the same mindset, in the same mission. It causes our spirits and our hearts to align uh, for one purpose. And it causes our passions to uh, be focused in for one thing. And so it makes us ask questions about everything we exert time and effort and resources to, God. It, it forces us to assess, how is it what I'm doing is for your glory? How is it what I'm doing is going to push forward the beautiful truth of your gospel? How is it what I'm doing is going to help assist those who I've been bound by the Holy Spirit to uh, be on mission with? How is it going to help them move farther in their faith? Thank you, Lord, for this call uh, in your perfect word. I thank you for this example, this end-all, be-all that doesn't give me any room to wiggle. I thank you, God, that you don't let me. Uh, try to come up with excuses, but you, you close the door to that by, by putting upon me this beautiful example of Christ, by calling me to humility and telling me to have the same attitude Jesus did when he thought about me and went to the cross on my behalf. Thank you, God, that I don't get to think what's best for me and just make decisions based on that. I, th I thank you, Lord, that I have, to, I have to strive by the power of the Spirit to have the same mindset that Jesus did, and to consider others more important than myself. Help me to do this in every sphere of my life. Help me to do this. Please, God, help us as your church to do this with every single person that we meet. And God, I ask that uh, your beautiful power would just flow out of our obedience to this. Please empower us by your grace to do it. And God, may this, may this, may it be tangible, God. Help us to see. Sometimes we miss it. Help us to see how these things lead to more joy for us. Help us to see how considering ourselves low will lead to more joy. Because as we see you working through our lives and we see other people being lifted up, God, uh, as we love and help them, I think you will see really what pure and, and, and beautiful and, and godly joy is. Uh, may our joy be like yours. May our joy increase, Lord God, as we learn to serve and love one another in unity. Uh, may you be glorified in this. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.